If you want to get work done outside, you need to do it before 9 a.m. or after the sun goes down. So you either have to have a really good light or you need to wake up before 9. Sounds okay, right. Just yeah, best in a good light. Sense. But the best part about podcasts is you don't need to wake up early to listen to them because this is episode 30 of the Halcyon Frequency podcast. It's kind of crazy. We actually have intro music now. Uh, but we have a big announcement to make on this episode of the Halcyon Frequency podcast airing August 14th, uh, 2022. And that's we have assimilated another human into our fold being a bloody Drongo. So I'm just going to kind of roll through the list of who's here on this episode. Um, my name's Blind, and I'm hosting. And I'm joined by Arch Plays Stuff. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I um, played D&D last night. Didn't die, which That's is unusual good. for me. So, yeah, it's going well. Implying that you usually die. Hmm. Sui is also here. Oh, How are yes. you today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm listening to the melodic snores. Of Suboy in the bedroom. The melodic snores is my new, uh, I don't know, uh, lo-fi band. <laughs> um, Dude, I don't know. It was just a, it was an interesting way to describe it. And I like using, uh, ex- I don't know, exquisite word choices. Is that a bad word to use? I don't know. Confusing word choices, ex- what I'd say. Exquisite <laughs> snores. You just heard the voice. Darling, this word choice yes. is divine. Who's also here? <laughs> Hi, Jess. How are you? Hi. Um, I'm okay. I'm feeling better today than I have all week because I had a very weird mental week, but doing better. I've, I've been in a bit of a funk myself, so I I feel you there. But um, like like I said, I started this podcast off with um, we 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 have assimilated another member into the team, and this is kind of like I guess the official team announcement for it, which is why there's a bit of a full house here today. Uh, we B- bloody Drongo has has joined our our uh, funny little group called Halcyon Frequency. So um, Drongo, I've got a question: um, Who are you, and why did you join us? Hi, uh, I'm Bloody Drongo. I joined you because I heard you had a taste for exquisite streamers. Uh, I'm a full-time content creator, uh, primarily on Twitch, and I stream a lot of very similar games to, um, you know, existing members like FG Squared, 2D Kiri, Archplay stuff, um, Sui. You know, there's a lot of overlap there. So for me, you know, I was already kind of in the sphere of halcyon frequency creators and you know just kind of when the opportunity came up it eventually just seemed to be the choice that made a good amount of sense and i'm excited to be here can i just like brag for a moment i followed him before he was an affiliate that that is true like, yeah Arch did it, follow it actually is true um his first streams were Worm Online, and this was when I was really pushing for Worm Online to have some sort of stream of support. And I was like, we need to follow him. We need to support him. And um, I started watching because of that, and I actually somehow fell down the rabbit hole and actually started enjoying his content, which is always a mistake. My deepest condolences. Now he makes TikToks, which you means you really can't be trusted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I hit 100 followers on TikTok today. That's my little win. Hell yeah. And uh, I'm sticking to it. I'm basically a Zoomer now. 
<laughs> more than oh, me gosh. even okay i hit oh, I like the youngest 200 i hit 220 subs on youtube because i had a short that got like 3,000 views and that was my win of the week <laughs> so i love that for you that's fantastic <laughs> yeah i have towards the big 500 a whole 220 um youtube subscribers so basically i'm huge <laughs> i mean that's what i heard so wait, <laughs> i mean i nearly didn't join because i was like i don't know jess just seems a really intimidating personality i know she's big on youtube it's like <laughs> a whole thing it's all just so intimidating you know she can help you grow those 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 short strats you know i mean have you gotten three thousand views on a short no shorts? i still haven't done any shorts whatsoever i need to break into mate, the market mate, mate. I saw a picture of you and you were very clearly in shorts, so I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> Based on my YouTube content, I'm not very into shorts. I'm much more into longs. So, I mean, what if a seven hour VOD yesterday? People seem to be watching it. Yep. But, um, stuff to sleep to. To, to kind of like, like lift, lift the curtain for a little bit. Um, at, from the perspective of, I guess, the co founder of this team. Um, I, we, we've been like sticking out our long reaching tentacles for a while, trying to grasp around to find another voice to have around this podcast and on the team and help us kind of move forward into the continually, continuously changing eras of Twitch. That is the, the current sphere of content in the internet. And it's, it's nice to actually feel confident enough to reach out to a creator um to ask them to join us because we're very selective when we bring on new people um i mean previously the rule always was unless you've met at least half the team in person at a convention good luck um but with the way the world's been the last two years that's been oddly difficult strangely enough so <laughs> With with that getting more difficult, like, you know, eventually we brought on Arch just due to Arch knowing so many people on the team. And then uh, Drongo's just kind of been an extension of that. And, like, we reached out to you because we really like what you do. And you're doing, you're kind of killing it on social media at the very least. Like, you're a hell of a lot better at social media than I am. You've done real well in the short period of time that you've been full-time. So it's been very exciting to kind of see what you've been doing. And I'm looking forward to help you achieve that achieve maintaining full-time in a industry that is about as volatile as a can of pringles next to a bunch of hungry teenagers yeah <laughs> well no, I, I, I really appreciate that i mean it's a uh, you know it was it was very flattering because I, I i knew how uh selective the you know the, the team was so it was um yeah very very flattering when i was reached out to and well um, then they yeah. took me on and you knew all bets were off right well, you know, that was one point in the uh the other column where I was like, ah, you know, Arch, you know, I've got I've got history with Arch, you know, uh, can we put that behind that us? Can we move forward? You know, it's <laughs> it's a tough slog sometimes um when you've got those kinds of uh, you know, interpersonal relationships with people. And to be clear, I'm I'm very much joking, just in case anybody's unfamiliar with me. Arch and I are, yeah. are good friends. You have an exquisite way of humor. It's it's also yeah. very yeah. amusing to me because a, a couple of years ago, back when we founded this team, we always had problems scheduling things due to time zones. And we're just like, we just need people from Australia on the team. And then we'll never be able to schedule <laughs> anything. And now we have two, I guess, New Zealand and Australia. It's like, 
Well, yeah. that's that's why I'm um, excited. I have an ally in this space now. Yeah, you I? can try and pull us into the <laughs> middle of the night, truly. Although you're like on a North American schedule almost, which is confusing. Yeah, I have to well, say just... that I actually enjoy the times that you both put forward, so I'm for it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I just like the fact that you trialed a, uh, you know, like a, an Australian, um, you know, replacement, like off-brand Australian you know, not quite the real deal. Trialed at first, wow. saw how you liked it, and then wow. you brought on, you know, the the fair dinkum, you know, the the real deal, the true I blue Australian. If it wasn't nearly five in the morning, I'd be yelling so loud right now. I'll have you know that I only forget I'm Australian like three times a day. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say to that. I think that three times for how many hours? No, like, I, I just accidentally say us Kiwis, or, you know... To be I don't fair, know, I've been us I've Kiwis been, rolls I... off the tongue pretty well. <laughs> like, well, Are you saying I, I ask, mean, ask Kiwi? Ask no, Kiwis? Us, us, oh, us. us. As in, you know, us lot. But I don't talk with a Kiwi accent. I've still got my... my what did someone call it? Newsreader Australian, apparently, is my accent, you know? It's not as strong as like real ochre Aussie, but um it's still clearly Australian. I think I heard someone describe it as. That's like the difference yeah, that between, makes sense. It's like the difference between somebody with like a stereotypical British accent and somebody who has lived in Britain for ten years. Yeah, do you speak the Queen's English or do you just pretend? Yeah. Well it's like I mean like the the accent that I speak with when I'm on live on Twitch is not my natural accent believe it or not and the accent i'm speaking with now is not my natural accent i like really? I'm, i would well, be... now i'm very curious what Jess yeah said. you hop off the call and he's like yeah nah bro what's going on <laughs> i mean it's alarmingly similar to that yeah it's a lot How's more nasal <laughs> yeah it's, uh, yeah i mean it's uh, i think for the sake of um you know actually trying to be understood i have to be very uh mindful of you know, how I speak. This reminds me of um, The Walking Dead. I can't Dead. believe... Because, like, half of the cast of The Walking Dead is British, and it hurts my brain when I see them talking, like, not in the American <laughs> Walking Dead accents. It's like, it's like a house. Because you see Hugh Laurie in, like, his earlier stuff with, like, um, Stephen Fry, or in Black Adder, and... Oh my gosh, how that man ever managed to do an American accent is beyond me. It's called talent. I thought it was called vocal coaching, but... Some call him A, some call him B. Called the vocal coach's talent. Something like that. I just, I have the occasional Canadian accent slip in, and it's like something that I try and like avoid specifically because people point at me and make fun of me for it. Because every now and again, I'll accidentally slip into like an aboot or something like that. And yeah. whenever that, that happens, it, all of chess is like, got him! He did it! He said... Yeah, I've heard <laughs> you say that sometimes, and it always pleases me. <laughs> so, don't stress too much. I am mildly entertained by it. Hey, buddy, I sound like, I'm, fair, from like I'm from Toronto, eh? <laughs> oh, we, we, to your credit, we, I didn't actually did. realize you were Canadian until now, so... Uh -huh. <laughs> Everybody oh. thinks I'm American. You do kind of yeah. sound 
like you're from like the Seattle region. The thing is, Seattle sounds like they're from Vancouver. Like that's not my fault. No. <laughs> that's like no, we're no, literally no, no. a three hour drive apart. <laughs> you sound the same though, except for sometimes in Vancouver they say a boot or house. Well, no, the the thing is most people in Vancouver sound like they're from Korea or China or India because that's where they're actually from. Mm-hmm. Wow. The like the being a like not a Caucasian Canadian in Vancouver, depending on where you live, you're the minority. So like Yeah. I mean I'm the minority where I live because it's mostly Hispanic. Yeah, no, um, every now and again, I'll fall into like the stereotypical Canadian accent and it's kind of hilarious. Although I always just tell people, if you want to see a good Canadian accent, go watch the TV show Canada's Worst Driver because the host of that has the most Canadian accent you'll ever hear. But I'm the minority where I am because I have a green beard and nobody else has one. I just have long hair and tattoos. I, I did. <laughs> I, I tweeted about this the other day, but I was, I was walking out I, when I got a coffee in the morning. And I've walked along and some guys come up next to me and he's going, I love it, mate. It's like, just gave me the thumbs up and he's like, I love it. And then kept walking. And I'm like, I nodded and smiled and went, yeah. And I looked down, I got my, my, uh, blue discord hoodie and I'm like, yeah, it's a nice hoodie. And that's what I thought he meant. And it wasn't until like a minute later, I've just gone, oh wait, my beard's green. <laughs> he's probably complimenting that. <laughs> I, I, I have no maybe. idea how I missed it. You know, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say no. It was most likely, definitely the green beard because it's the the problem is is it's slightly shifted from the green that it was, and more of the yellow undertone is coming out. So it's more of a neon green at the moment. This reminds me of me and a friend. We were we were on a hike a couple of weeks ago, and I was wearing a Slipknot shirt, and my friend right next to me was wearing a gun, a local gun store shirt. And we're walking down this trail and this guy comes up the, in the other direction and looks at both of us, at neither of us in particular, and says, nice shirt. And he just keeps walking. <laughs> and neither of us, really, we both just kind of <laughs> nodded and kept walking. And then we looked at each other, we're like, who do you say that to? And we still haven't figured it out. I, I've been um, getting a lot of compliments, weirdly, on my hair because I've, I have an undercut, but it's asymmetrical. And so for the past couple of weeks, I've been wearing it backwards. And the number of people who have asked me like, wow, did you get a haircut? Or like, wow, that looks great. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to just change the part of my hair now. My hair now <laughs> goes to the right instead of the left. <laughs> to be fair, I think undercuts look amazing. I do they too. Look the top 10, top 10 haircuts ever. My hair's too thin to do that, though. Like, each individual... So, I don't, like, not have a lot of hair. Each individual strand is really thin and fine. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, I have a normal amount of hair. But each one is really fine. So, I can't do an undercut, or I'd look like I'm basically balding. Suey oh is gosh. trying really hard to, to argue that she's not bald, guys. It's just it's just her hair. The hair's fine. Look! I would share with you, I have so much hair that I have now shaved off, I think, two-thirds to three-quarters of my hair, and it's still a full head's worth of hair. I, Dang. Also, I mean, also, thicker strands, thicker strands die easier. You don't have to worry as much about, like, your hair snapping in half when you dye your hair when it's thicker. Yeah. I know what you're going to say, Drunga. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that, you know, I used to rock the undercut, you know, going back, like, five years ago and that was like my favorite 
favorite time of my hair and but now it's all fallen out sadly so i uh, now look, have uh essence of hair and that's the thing like i i'm very much the same like i'm thinning at the front and it really annoys me because i i used to have such thick luxurious hair and mm. now now it's like thinning at the front where my headphones always sit and i'm just so annoyed because Oh, I never thought it happened to me. You know, you always think you're going to get away with it. You're going to avoid the curse, and then, and then it starts and never stops. You know, it's funny because one of the most popular podcast ads is like how like stopping hair from falling out for men. It's like this cream stuff supposedly right. works. Well, but... well, hit it, hit us up. We'll do it for a sponsorship. I'm gonna say we, need, um... I think we like have enough reason to try and poke at them. <laughs> But well, um, I mean, I'm I'm probably just going to shave off all my hair this year. I'm going to be a I'm going to be an egg from this year onwards. I think just just add it as a charity goal and don't tell it. Oh, it's too late now. I was going to say don't tell anyone that you were planning on doing it anyways. And just be like, <laughs> that's it. If we hit this, I'm going to shave my head. Oh, yeah, I'll the do like it. the like bald head with a beard though can be a very nice aesthetic. Like it can look so good. Yeah. Oh, in yeah, my mind, sure. I'd like I to mean, look like Jason Statham, but I mean, uh, see, I'm just thinking um, Andrew Ray from Bidging with Babish. You know, he is very cool. I yeah, I I dig his aesthetic. Yeah, Ta- tattoos, uh, ability to cook, and you know, beard and bald. I mean, I mean, you're basically describing four tenths of me right now. Four tenths of me? That's not what I meant to say three quarters of me (laughs) well since we're like a quarter of the way through this podcast i think it's time that we go to a real quick break and when we return um we will talk about the games that we have been playing this week hi this is tutikiri i'm a full-time content creator and twitch streamer focusing on indie and strategy games i'm advocating accessibility in video games especially when it comes to simulation sickness I love chatting with my wholesome community, achievement hunting, and winter. Look for Tudikiri on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon. And now, back to the podcast. And we're back to the Halcyon Frequency podcast. Once again, this is episode 30. Uh, on the list, on the dock today, we got myself, Blind, Archplay Stuff, Bloody Drongo, Sui, and Jess. And we're going to be talking about the games that we've been playing this week. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to, like, pick a random name from the list here and say, Jess, can you talk to us about Two Point Campus? You, you, you just picked me because I'm at the top. Yeah. <laughs> Don't kill the magic. Come on. Um, I was actually in the bathroom, I think, when you picked two. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Two Point Campus came out on the 9th, and it is the follow-up to Two Point Hospital, which if I say Two Point Hospital, I mean Two Point Campus. Um, it's by Two Point Studios, and it's very similar to Two Point Hospital, but it ha- has introduced a lot of changes. So it, the Two Point series typically are like management sims slash builders of some sort. So the first one was a hospital builder. This one's a campus builder, if that's what you want to call them. Um, it's it's pretty neat. Like It's been a long time since I played Two Point Hospital, but... Two Point Campus brought some changes, like the ability to edit your campus, whereas before you couldn't change your hospital. You couldn't change the layout of it. Um, this this one has been really interesting. I kind of struggle with it, though, because I 
get bothered by the PA system and by the DJ, which I think are supposed to be the selling points. And I also think the menu is like way too cluttered, but it's it's been cool. I was under the impression that the selling point of these games was the dad jokes. Yeah, but those are uh, those are usually like during the radio announcements and the PA system. Uh, okay, gotcha. But to me, I'm like ADHD brain. You're distracting me. <laughs> yeah, i I played uh, I've played a, a fair bit of Two Point Campus as well um, this week, and I think the the main thing that I personally missed from Two Point Hospital was with the with Two Point Hospital you had the you know the people with the illnesses or whatever needing the diagnosis and all of the uh made up illnesses were you know puns and jokes and stuff like that and even though the same sense of humor is carried over to two point campus it doesn't have that same uh unifying jumping off point that two point yeah, hospital it doesn't, has it doesn't really shine through and if you like actually read mm. the course info it's there but it, yeah. it doesn't it's not prominent like it was in two point hospital yeah, and it also I, I, Someone said that it feels empty compared to Two Point Hospital, and I could agree with that as well because the hospitals were usually overflowing with little people, and the campuses tend to be a little bit quieter. But I also haven't played past the second map, so I don't know if that changes. Yeah, that definitely does change. I mean, I think um, you know, for me, I, I've definitely enjoyed it because I do enjoy that kind of dad joke pun sort of. Uh, sense of humor that's a bit kind of on the nose um i also did have some issues with the pa system and i had to turn that down in the sound settings just because it was kind of invasive it is funny but it does kind of you know disrupt the experience but i think that's only an issue if you're streaming right i think if you're playing it in a purely offline setting i think it would be uh you know a net benefit to the experience yeah, yeah I ended up just turning the radio off entirely. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, but I think if you enjoyed the uh, Two Point Hospital, like a lot of the actual building mechanics are the same uh, with some slight revisions and changes for the better, like like you mentioned, like the ability to edit and move your rooms and stuff. And, you know, uh, it plays very, very similarly and kind of builds on the previous version um, or the previous game. Uh, so I, I've really enjoyed it. I, I think it's, you know, for me, it's an overall positive experience. Yeah, I would agree. It took me a minute, though, to figure out, like an entire stream to figure out the the UI. <laughs> I kept saying, I don't know if this is a me problem or the game problem, but nothing is where I feel like it should be. <laughs> Interesting. I think Probably maybe just because a I me played problem. it more recently, I didn't have that same issue because i feel like a lot of the ui elements carried over from hospital but, yeah I, I hadn't um, played since yeah. 2019 so that that could be it gotcha i'm just really happy that those guys are out there making games still because like they they're in, in the grand scheme of things like the, the the people who founded two point studios are kind of like pc game development ogs like they worked on theme hospital in the nineties. Like they've been in the industry as long as you could have been in the industry in a lot of ways. And it's nice to see them getting work and not working for big studios. I anymore. miss, I miss the upchuck sound from uh, theme park. That, that's all I have to contribute to this, this conversation. <laughs> I played 
theme hospital, uh, two point hospital for about three hours. Got so fed up with it, but like, you know, Bullfrog <laughs> Studios and theme park and the little, bleh, bleh, when you had the roller coaster that was too powerful. Yep. That's just childhood memories right there. Couldn't agree more. I, 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 I have a very similar feeling about uh, Two Point Hospital. I played it for about two and a half hours and just went, nope, not for me. Um, but so, yeah, me this too. This is actually a question. This is a question I have for Two Point Campus. The thing that bothered me with Two Point Hospital was you would have this whole setup and then it would be, there's a new disease, there's this new thing. And it literally just required a new room and a new doctor. There wasn't a lot of crossover where you had to balance a single room for multiple things mm -hmm. or anything. Is that what uh, Two Point Campus does as well? Is it just basically as it expands, you've just got to add new things as opposed to rework existing flows? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that that is the core gameplay loop. Um, the one thing that they have changed is um, there's a higher focus on smaller goals. So you basically get um, requests from your students or teachers or whatever for a specific facility, which does mean that you do need to, from time to time, look at reevaluating how you've built, you know, say a, a science room or a computer lab or something like that to rebuild it to incorporate this new piece of machinery that they've requested or that you've unlocked recently. So I'd say, yes, the core gameplay loop is very much the same in that respect in terms of adding new rooms and expanding it that way. But I would say that there's a different um, dynamic slightly added in, but it's not the key focus. Right, yeah. Something else it's done, I can't remember if this was done in 2. Hospital or not, so you have, you can tell me, Drongo. But when you're moving between years, because it's, it's a campus, so like you'll have year one students, year two students. When it's the summer, it gives you new objectives, like build another one of these rooms, build another one of like a uh, uh, hire this person, that sort of thing. Uh, this kind of teacher, but I don't remember the, it being like that in Two Point Hospital. So it it forces you to kind of have to redesign occasionally, like have to maybe move rooms around or change your flow or just change your overall design, which I found kind of cool. That's been my favorite part, actually, is the summer when I can just be like, yay, creative mode. <laughs> and I know that Two Point Hospital made some changes post-launch that like forced you to vary up the buildings a little bit, but at the very least at launch, it was literally just make a building. Oh, I need more of that. Okay, copy paste that building. <laughs> um. I think the, uh, yeah, I, I do agree, Jess, in terms of the, um, the actual part where you're looking at going between years, because I think that does add in the opportunity to, when you're upgrading your courses to be more, you know, more rewarding and have more students come in and stuff like that, it does cause you to revisit your, uh, your building, your college and keep redesigning it and keep refining it and i'd certainly have done complete rebuilds in my playthroughs because i've been trying to three star every map and it's um yeah. yeah it's been enjoyable yeah i agree i do like this one better than two point hospital actually improvement on two point hospital um different game different puns kind of different pun delivery but still enjoyable for the people who really like those games and it seems to be a success all around from my yeah point it's of view. like Definitely still in theme with Two Point Hospital. Not too much variation, but improvements were needed. Awesome. 
Well, I'm I'm curious to see what they what they do next. I'm sure they'll expand upon it in the future. So we'll probably talk about that game more as time goes on. But uh, Sui, uh, talk to me about this yeah. um, indie game uh, RimWorld. I think it's called. Uh yeah. So this game, nobody's really heard of it, right? No, never. Yeah, that's why I'm expecting you to tell us all about it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was just checking. I was just checking. Um, so RimWorld is a colony management sim made by Ludion Studios, which is just a tiny little uh, indie company nobody's ever heard of, right? Um, it is their first game, I believe. And it's a colony management sim where you try to keep your colony alive and you keep growing it. And anyway, I'm going to cut this joke. And... I've been playing RimWorld again. <laughs> yeah. Almost as old as RimWorld. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you been playing anyway, I've been the, playing um, RimWorld again. Have you been playing the uh, PC or console version? Because I know they just came out PC. on console. I don't have a console besides Switch. Right. Because I think, but... I don't know. Like, I've seen a fair <gasps> few people playing it again. And is that Question. because of the console launch? Um, I think, like, it's just the burnout on it has kind of gone away. Like, people in my chat have literally come in, like, people who are new to me, and they're just like, yeah, so I couldn't play the game for, like, two years, but I just feel like coming back to it all of a sudden. Like, yeah, there's just this close. weird random wave coming back to it right now, it sounds like. Not the first um, maybe partially due to console. Yeah, anyway, I'm having a great time. Like, I thought I was completely burnt out, and I'd never be able to really enjoy it to the degree I used to, but... My uh, community made me a mod list for my graduating college, and I have a bachelor's degree, but now, by the way, I got the uh, certificate on Yay, Wednesday. you graduated two-point campus. Yep. I got cum laude <laughs> as well, which means that I got honors. It's just like the fancy Latin term for it. Um, anyway, so that's like a graduation run, and I've been playing that exclusively like i expected to play games like you know i'd play rimworld for a little while and then i'd switch but i'm not even switching games i'm going like eight hours straight of rimworld which is whack and i'm not like burning out or anything it's just a good time i'm also playing differently so i used to be like really elitist about the way i played and now i'm just like oh yeah i'll just play on an easier difficulty really experiment with different things and just kind of play around with stuff i couldn't before I just want to quote those famous lads words of, you know, oh, I'm not burnt out on it anymore. Um, but I also used to that's, be really elitist the is the one that I would quote, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> Even like in least. high school, dude, I've become so much less elitist with time, but I used to be such an elitist person. Wait, and that's a actually a big growing point for me. Were you still in high school when RimWorld, when we were first playing RimWorld? No, no, oh, no I was in college. I was going to say, God, I feel so old. So. It's it's funny. I mean, I was because Rimworld did come out like way before I started streaming. If that makes you feel better, yeah, uh, no, that that that's fine. I mean, and I started streaming <laughs> uh, freshman year of college. I, mean, I, I I did start streaming freshman year of college. So if that makes you feel better, a little bit. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so um, one thing that that um yeah the elitist stuff is Drongo. You also like play on like the hardest difficulty you're one of those elitist people aren't you how do you feel about being called out like that <laughs> um, well, i didn't call him out you're the one calling him out arch look i'm just inferring from what you've said all right no i did not mean that at drongo i just 
I mean, I've always been it. a big advocate for playing on uh, whatever difficulty or in whatever manner makes you uh, enjoy the game the most with RimWorld because it's a game that fits so many different play styles and with all the different game modes, you know, whether you're just playing on peaceful and just building up a little settlement and just making sure it doesn't starve to death or whether you're playing with some, you know, crazy mods and, you know, having a whole, you know, Lord of the Rings marathon sort of thing happening or, you know, whether you're just playing vanilla and trying to, you know, play on the hardest difficulty and being a complete masochist, uh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever makes you enjoy the game the most is the best way to play it. So I don't, many, it doesn't bother me. How many tries to get your colony going? I remember when 1.3 came out and you started the tunnel snakes, it was just like every, every stream was like three restarts. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but there was a, a while there where I, every two or three streams I'd have to start again. But that was back when, uh, before Tynan patched the breacher raids to stop them from being so frequent. That's and right. yeah, every single breacher raid was termites. And I still think termites are pretty OP um, in RimWorld, but yeah, it, it, in vanilla exclusively here, we're talking about as yeah. well. Termites. But um, yeah, they were, it was, it was pretty broken then because after you got it past a certain wealth point, you would just get, breacher raids and it would just be termites and it would just absolutely wreck Wait, your base and it was just horrible. termites yeah the, the, um, the mechanoid, the the mechanoid. yeah the ones i call them thumpers because they go Boop. yeah <laughs> so i used to play with a pretty centipedes no no <laughs> no 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 there's there's have new... you even played rimworld suey jeez are, are you are you <laughs> playing with ideology suey yes Okay, so in, in the 1.3, there are now new uh, mechanoids that um, target oh, walls. They don't I thought do that lots was mods. No. Oh, yeah. You're... <laughs> no, they no, just, no. That's, um, that's vanilla. <laughs> yeah. I don't know so what's vanilla play... and what's mods. I'm sorry. <laughs> I used to play with these. Uh, I think it was one of the vanilla expanded ones that had like super strong walls that you could get like literally like reinforced uranium that had like 12,000. And, um, that was what enabled me to like play on a flat map, but breaches just turn up and, and, and cut through it like butter. And it was always like, oh my gosh, because I think it was one of those things that if your walls are too strong, breacher raids happen. And on one hand, it makes sense of a whole bunch of people going, look, we're going to raid this base, but they got really strong walls. So let's make sure we can take them out. But as a player, it was also incredibly frustrating because, um, it did sort of w majorly reduce the, um, effectiveness of kill boxes, which is a very strong strategy in all RimWorld playthroughs, I'd argue. Well, I think the, the, the really big issue with breaches that I had was the fact that they still target bedrooms, same as Sapper raids, that is still their, their target destination. So if you, for example, put your bedrooms on the inside of your base, they're just going to wreck the entire of your base trying to get to the bedroom. Um, but of course, that does mean you can manipulate it, right, by having your bedrooms on the outside, which limits the amount of damage that breacher, uh, breaches can do. Um, see, this is where I'd like to see different, like maybe different types of raids attack different things and such, like insectoids going for the, the where food is. Uh, or kitchens and um you know raids by imperials going for throne rooms 
it would be kind of fun to never know where, like, be or to make it harder to manipulate the AI, like, like you were. Well, um, I mean, as somebody who can only play on hard difficulties via AI manipulation, um, I am vehemently <laughs> against that idea. As an elitist, I say your opinion is trash. <laughs> hmm, okay, wait. So I still have a question. Is What's Rimworld? <laughs> is is the Steam Deck version of Rimworld the console version or the PC version? Or both? Be the PC version, it's, I would assume. It's the PC, PC version, though. I remember because uh, Italics actually did a console version stream of it. And everyone was like, this UI would work so well on the Steam Deck. And, you know, so... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, I, I think which, it's, which... It's a massive missed opportunity to not allow just you to play with both UIs. And I've been, I felt this way about the... Um, uh, what's it called? The um, City Skylines port to console for a while, especially with the existence of the Steam Deck. Is the other UI now available on City Skylines? Because no. I, I would see that and be like... Okay. Well, I think that, the that, thing that is, is like, uh, I know I don't know really know anything about the City Skyline stuff, but the with RimWorld, the way they've had to approach it is basically two completely different, um, you know, development routes, uh, which is why they've had to separate it so vehemently. It's basically, two different they, games. They can't really maintain both under the same umbrella. That's a good point. Oh, speaking of RimWorld, by the way. I'd like to point out that the Hot Potato Charity event, which is a marathon relay event where we run for 120 hours and uh, one person starts and then you read into the next and everyone's passing around a save file, raising money for Doctors Without Borders. That's going to be happening again. It's going to be on roughly between the 22nd and 28th of November. The dates are not set in stone yet, so do not quote me on it. Um, and we are looking for streamers who want to join. So if you got a favorite streamer, um, I believe blind can add the form into the podcast description and you can send it their way. Yep. Wow. You, I'm the one who adds those things That's in now. Also true. <laughs> I need the credit for this. Please. Okay. I need well, Arch hit. can add it in <laughs> you. and you can send that link to your favorite streamer and, Tell them to apply and or just send them yeah, a link to this. That's podcast. how they can get in. That'd be even better. Yeah, and <laughs> and make sure to um leave a comment on wherever you listen to the podcast or wherever you can and just be like, thanks for the link arch. <laughs> it, it'd do me great. Um <laughs> I, I, I think that for for the sake of time, we could probably do an entire episode on Rimworld. So um I I I, I it's really nice that you're back on Rimworld Sui and enjoying it. Um, I know at the very least I've been like just the thought of playing that game again makes me upset. So like I, I'm, I'm glad that people are capable of how about, burning out and going back. How, yeah. How about we jump to another wild wasteland full of danger? Sure. And I talk about Dinkum. Go nuts. Tell us about uh, the yeah. Australian documentary Dinkum. Oh, it's it's more like Australian Animal Crossing to the point that I mean I think I've accidentally called Fletch Tom Nook. Um. It's a PC game. Uh, general thing is, is the world has turned into an ice planet or something, except for this faraway land that you fly to. And it's basically Australian-themed Animal Hold Crossing that you've got. Isn't that just the plot of Mad Max? Well, it's a little bit of Mad Max, but there's no cars. Oh. <laughs> 
Yeah. Also, no, actually, I think there is. You re- you can get a motorbike. <laughs> so yeah, also, it's basically every yes. Is dinkum a word in Australian? Fair dinkum. Yeah. It is. What does it mean? The uh, internet has told oh. me it means genuine. Yeah, yeah. but like <laughs> just don't listen is, to the Australians and you know, just like I'll tell you what the Google said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen <laughs> to the American. The thing is though, is I've never heard Dinkum said without fair in front of it. Apparently yeah, it's it not is, re- but I've never heard it either. As time goes on and the way things have changed, like it probably was used like that, you know. Let's say origin late 19th century, according to Google there. So, you know, that might have been where it is, but all that survived is the phrase fair dinkum, which basically means, you know, like, um, the true like article. That, you know? Yeah, the true article. It's or like it can also be used Canadian in DMA. sort of like, <laughs> no, 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 let's not probably call a, call a game mate or something, but I don't think, I don't know where, where that'd hey, be buddy. on Steam. <laughs> but um yeah no it's uh it's a really peaceful game and it's got some really good mechanics it it is just literally animal crossing without the animals on pc like when you when you boil it down but i mean like i've like i've said with my community and all of that doesn't mean it's a bad thing what is stardew valley but literally harvest moon but on pc um so it, it's it's been quite fun playing. Uh, it's got some really nice mechanics. It feels feels pretty solid and polished where it is. There's a limit of like how much content I've played two two streams of about you know seven hours each, and I'm probably nearing that point where all I can really do is just prettify the island now and make hundreds of thousands of dinks, which is the money. Um, <laughs> to to buy all the houses uh a real missed opportunity to not call them dollary dues but I, I i assume they were worried about being called out by the simpsons too much there but um yeah no it's it's quite fun um i've enjoyed it it's been nice and relaxing i i think i got most of what i wanted to do in it in the sense of doing it on stream i think now it becomes more of the sort of like mindless playing because one of my one of my favorite and also most hated mechanics of it is digging. Because in most games, you dig dirt, it goes into your inventory, right? That's what we all play, that's what we all expect. You dig dirt, it stays on your shovel. The next dig action you do will drop the dirt. So in order to flatten an area, you've got to dig it, run to the spot where it's down, drop it, run to the spot where it's up, dig it. And so it becomes rather rather tedious and limiting in that sense um don't you have a wheelbarrow gosh i don't i don't have a <laughs> wheelbarrow because they're like the the binging with babish knockoff wants to charge me eighty thousand dinks for it and you know it, you it is worth so it though dinks. you only get so many dinks selling in bugs every day um well Drongo, you'll I, also I just, understand was this game full of dink uh, jokes why <laughs> you you can pick up a funnel web spider and just put it in your pocket. Well, I was going to say, I, I feel like the fact that you can't just pick up a shovel load of dirt and stick it in your pocket is perhaps, you know, maybe a better mechanic. Um, but, <laughs> you know, since you're stuffing funnel web spiders into your pants, I no longer yeah. <laughs> think that that's maybe consistent. 
I'm Googling. Pants are for bugs only, not dirt. Actually, another mechanic that really bugs me about Dinkum, <laughs> get it, bugs? Well, <laughs> you actually can't put bugs in inventory slots. Like, you can't put them in a chest or birds or, <laughs> wait, birds? I don't think you can catch birds. Or fish. You can't do it with fish either. Well, yeah, and it's a little spider bros. Funnelweb spiders can, can kill and still do. I'm sure they, they can, they, they, but I, I love the way they, they look might all look threatening. They, that's because they are. They might look all threatening, but they're yeah, a Yeah, but you can also pick that. up scorpions and black widows and put them in your pocket and dink them. Funny, funny thing about Australia. Australia's the only country where the scorpions are not venomous. Oh. Everything else is, yeah. but scorpions aren't. Because my little brother was uh, bit, uh, stung by a scorpion and mum called up freaking. And the first thing the lady said was, relax. Australia's the only country where scorpions are not venomous. Um, and yeah, he was fine. Well, I mean, he's been a bit weird ever since, but no one can, can claim whether he's okay before it. So it's not, kind of hard to tell there. Don't blame the scorpion. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's an absolutely lovely game. And the fact that it has multiplayer as well means it just feels... It feels like a fun, fun way to spend some time. It is still early access. Um, and, you know, there, there are some bits that feel a bit rough. There is, it does feel a bit limited in some areas. But I think it's going to shape up pretty well. Yeah, it's I talked about Dinkum a few weeks ago, and um, I've decided that I really like it. It's good. Yeah, I... I totally agree with you, Arch. I, I spoke about it and was like, I don't know. I'm like really iffy on Animal Crossing. This one seems cool. I'll, I'll update you. My update is good. I want to keep playing. Yeah. And oh, um, also, the magpies make me miss home. Like, you know the, the little warbling sing song of the magpies, the black and white birds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't get them in New Zealand. Bird, and I was playing Dinkum. I heard them and I literally teared up at it because it wasn't until then that I realized how much I like, there's these little things that like, you know, remind you of home and, and the magpie warbling was, was one of them. And I was just like, oh my God, I used to wake up to these noises, you know? I get that with Pika's and, for camping. Yeah. With what? You know, Sorry, pecans. Pika's. Yeah, yeah, the little Pokemon before they evolve it, into it, so uh, if you Pikachu. Go to Google and type in Pika, P-I-K-A. It's a small rodent that are all basically just live in like the British Columbian mountains. And they're like, imagine like a hamster crossed with like a weird mouse, but they're extremely so loud and they scream Pika. Wait, how do you spell it? P-I-K-A. Is this oh, P -I -K -A. the inspiration for Pikachu? P-E-K-A. Yeah, it, it is the inspiration for Pikachu. Tens of story it also shoots tens of thousands of electricity yes, bolts very dangerous oh, they are very cute. So cute they're about the size of a I muffin they're tiny but you can hear them like half a kilometer away they're so loud well in other news i've just learned that uh, a pika or a pekka uh is a croatian dish uh made of seafood or potatoes and assorted vegetables pika also means penis which you cannot hear from so. a mile away And he's not electric in the slightest. <laughs> anyway, sorry for that. Derail. Oh my gosh, this is so cute. 
I am watching a video from Mount R- I, Rainier National Park. Yep. It's just a video of a peacock. Just screaming. Yeah, it's really cute. They do that. I want one. Can Here, I I'll link it. One? They're in, they're in, they're we'll we'll link it in the so podcast. <laughs> this is now a Pika appreciation podcast. Uh, you just It's worth <laughs> noting Arch, that, that you also cannot put those in a pocket. Arch, I know that you I reckon I could about if this, I tried. But uh, I, I think mean... you just named this podcast Pika Appreciation Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really cute. Maybe I should edit the oh, noise. Oh, now I feel like I'm missing it. You have to edit the noise in. Oh my gosh. All right. I'm I'm biting the bullet. I'm listening to this. But yeah, no, um, to, to kind of bring us back around on the subject, I completely understand the the home nostalgia of hearing certain animals' calls. Like, if I never heard a chickadee again, I would go nuts. I'm very used to hearing chickens, actually. Fortunately, so those are everywhere. So it'd be weird to be in a place without chickens. Yeah. I don't think there's anywhere in the world but without like, chickens. The sound that the hens make in the morning when they're uh, ha- having their eggs, like, also, like, they have this little, like, bah, 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 type noise. And that's very, like, I don't know. I like that noise. I always like the surprise cluck that the, the chickens made when playing raft and you just knew it an egg the diameter of like a fist that just passed through it and you're like Oh yeah, they're like oh, yeah, yeah, I'd be that too if I suddenly laid an egg. But um I completely derailed, so um <laughs> Yeah, back to Australia. Let's 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 get back to the other side of the country. Yeah, back to um, Australia. The chickens in Dinkum actually make a noise when they lay eggs too. Yeah? They're very mm-hmm. cute. I, I do like the very Australian references. Like, um, Irwin is the uh, animal seller, and he literally just looks like Steve Irwin. Um, I thought that one was kind of cool. And there's there's some other very Australian references. Um, it's 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 a beautiful game, and I really enjoyed it. And part of me just wants to play the heck out of it until I can't stand it anymore. Part of me wants to wait for updates and be like. Yeah, no, now I can play it, but, um, yeah, yeah. No, I think it'll, I think it'll My be aforementioned short was actually about Dinkum and a chicken. It was a sad moment. Ooh. Should, Rip. should we ask you to spoil the short oh. or should we link to the short? How, how do we do this? <laughs> we should link it. Don't tell us. Just link it. The sad moment. I mean, I, I've seen the short, <laughs> but. I haven't. Yeah, it was it was me learning a hard lesson about um, taking care of your chickens. <laughs> um, TLDR, build a fence. <laughs> Wildlife like them. Oh, no. But on the topic of early access games that are pretty and have fences, I'm going to try and underail this podcast because I completely ruined the last subject <laughs> and uh, <laughs> ask if I can talk about Farthest Frontier for a minute. Yeah, yeah, no, that just do it. That has fences. I'll allow it. I'll it allow does have it. fences. I was, I was on and... the end. I was <laughs> on the fence. Um, and then you, you linked it to Father's Frontier, which actually does have fences and walls. So yeah, I'll allow it. It has fences You've and walls, except the wildlife just segments. eat your people instead of your chickens. But um, 
so Far Farthest Frontier launched into early access this this past week, and it's released by Crate Entertainment, the people who made an action RPG called Grim Dawn. Uh, it is a medieval city builder that takes place in various places in Europe. Kind of has almost Vikingy looking buildings in places, um, but it's it's a very European city builder. Um, follows in the steps of Banished. Um, I think it's. So it's it's a survival kind of low scale city builder, almost colony builder, kind of on that line. Um, it's similar to games like Endzone, Banished, uh, Colony Survival, and kind of that whole category of games. Like they've kind of become city build like a, a separate genre of city builders unto themselves at this point, which I'm here for, and I, I do kind of want to play that type of game every now and again. I played a bunch of Endzone. I liked Banish for a very brief period of time and then I got really bored back in the day. But this game, Farthest Frontier, is maybe a perfect example of, oh wow, that's early access. Because there's parts of it where it's like, oh, this is really cool. There's a lot of interesting interactions. And then the AI just completely breaks and you have to restart the whole game to fix it. Um, where like things just won't get done. Like I was playing once and I like my half my buildings started burning down and they refused to repair them for like no logical reason. And then restarting the game, they repaired them immediately. Um, so I, I've had some weird issues like that, but it's, it's an interesting management game that really kind of focuses you down a specific, well, not, not, not a specific route, but there's lots of different things that you can build on each tier of building which you unlock as you build buildings and as you have the right resources. But depending on the map that you're in and the resources that are available to you, you will never be able to build every single building on each tier. You're expected to build what you can, focus on that, get a surplus of resources, make some gold, and then sell that to purchase the stuff that you do need for the later tiers from the traders. And um, it... it, it it kind of becomes a pretty interesting little game loop when you're like, well, in order to move on to the next tier, I need two types of bread or two types of food. So I need bread. Okay. Well, how do I acquire bread? Well, I can grow bread in the, in the very, very, very unfinished clunky farming UI uh, or grow wheat to make bread. But in order to make bread, I need a mill. And in order to make a mill, I need heavy tools. But in order to get heavy tools, I need a, a specific ref a building, which is in the next tier. So I don't have a, the ability to acquire heavy tools. Heavy tools are very expensive, and I acquire those by uh, acquiring gold, which I can get from alcohol. Okay, well, how do I get alcohol? I have to buy alcohol from the traders because I can't afford um, or be because I can't make a brewery yet because that's in the next tier of building. And also requires heavy tools. So you suddenly have this option where you're like, well, how can I uh, achieve these goals? And there's always going to be like three or four different ways that you can do it. And it's usually either comes down to build this other thing that you can produce right now, use that to make money, and then purchase the thing that you need to move to the next tier, or alternatively, um, the complete opposite route. Um, and I, I think that there's elements of this game that are really, really cool like that and lend themselves to being a really interesting little management game. It's also very uh, district focused where you're you're going to be placing certain buildings in certain areas because, you know, the, the citizens don't want to be near the, the pile of uh, human feces that is used for compost, but uh, they, they don't mind being near a tavern, right? Uh, however, the tavern, if it's near uh, certain types of buildings, the tavern won't be as popular and things like that. 
Um, there, there is combat in the game. Um, enemy villages will attack you. Uh, they're not on your map, so you can't see them directly. Um, but they, they will come in and start raiding you once you, you get big enough. So you have to build fences and walls. Um, eventually, once you get to the tier threes and fours, you'll have you'll be making armor and weapons, or you can purchase armor and weapons earlier on. Um, and then you can build guard towers, and and they will take out the, uh, the the raiders as they come in. Um, you can also build guard posts, which essentially have patrol and guards, but those guys cost gold to just employ, so you need to have a steady stream of income, which either comes from taxes or uh, taverns or your marketplace, or just trading and buying and selling goods. Um, so from, from a gameplay design perspective, I think it's really solid at this point. Um, the issue is... There, there are bugs that are rather glaring, especially on day one. I know some of the problems with the AI just like deciding to not um, have, have been fixed. They've, they've patched it a couple of times uh, since day one. But um, it took a good while for me to kind of figure out the routes that the game wanted me to do. The first time I played, I just tried to do everything without realizing that, oh, this is a game about specializing. It, the game claims to have a tutorial, but seven and a half hours in, they told me how to demolish buildings. So if the game has a tutorial, it's either bugged or it's so poorly paced that you never actually get the pop-ups until like hours after you figured out how to do the thing. So it's very much like kind of throws you into the deep end in that regard. But after a lot of fiddling and complaining about the way they've designed their UI, uh, my chat actually referred to it as very paradox-esque, as in a lot of pretty pictures, uh, not a lot of useful text, and everything is like conveyed via tooltips, which is not the most efficient way of doing things. I, I much prefer just a list of things. Um, my God, I love tooltips. I, I like tooltips too, but I don't like a shovel with a wheelbarrow in it doesn't mean anything to me, but something that says compost means something to me. So I'd rather my buttons have like a word next to them to tell me what it is instead of me having to mouse over it. But that's just me. Um, so I, I did find, find the, the UX to be a little bit confuddling and weirdly laid out in places, especially because like I don't see very well, right? So I always like I always like to zoom in my UI if they give me the option to have UI scaling. UI scaling doesn't scale the entire UI. It scales the, the window elements. But if you scale it past the default, so if you scale up even like 0.1%, it starts breaking the UI in places. Text doesn't fit in mm. boxes. Um, windows don't uh, fit in the screen. So I literally have to like move the window into different places just to see all of the UI. But then it double that annoyance when like, let's just say the trade screen, right? It likes to pop up on the lower right hand of the screen, which fits in the, in the screen normally if you're on the default or smaller sizes for the UI. But I have to click it and move it to the middle of the screen to actually be able to see it. I have to move it out from behind other UI elements. And then it doesn't remember where that window was. So the next time I open that window, it's back in the first place. Little annoyances like that that just become cumbersome and annoying as you're playing for hours and constantly opening different menus. Um, the game takes a bajillion years to load for some reason. I, I, had it on, I have it on my SSD, but the load times, I actually timed it. It took 31 seconds to load a medium map and a minute and 12 seconds to load a large map. Large map. So I wouldn't want to see what this game would be like on a normal hard drive. Um, so definitely load it yeah, on Yeah, I wanted SSD to ask you about play. your... Optimize or how you feel the game is optimized because I've heard a lot of complaints about the game being super, super, super unoptimized. Yeah, so I, I have an older computer, so I don't know how much of this is my computer. Like, I'm running a I have a pretty good computer for 2017, basically. I have a 7700k um, uh, processor, i7, and um, a 1070 and 64 gigabytes of RAM, um, which runs most things just fine, but this thing. 
it it runs great until it doesn't. Like it it runs great at like solid pl- sixty plus FPS, no problems, and then I'll turn the camera at a weird angle and it'll chug. Like it'll just stop. Um, on the I tried a large map for a little bit on the first day and that ran like awfully. So I wouldn't play a large map. I'd play either the medium or the small. Um, but it I I haven't hit the edge of a medium map yet, so I don't actually know how much bigger the large ones are. So there's that. Um, the uh, um, certain menus lag the trading menu when you because it has a scroll bar on the right side because there's so many fancy assets and art and all this crap instead of just some text for the trading UI it's it, that lags like scrolling up and down that like it that makes the whole game chug um, certain menus do that for some reason and I don't know why um, which uh, early access right so I don't know I, I think it's it's a game with a hell of a lot of potential I mean I played it for six hours the first day and I liked it I went back for eight hours on a second day and I, I I do think that there there is something there. It is a very compelling management game that has a lot of depth to it. I really but like I really like things like the farming system. The farming system has weeds, uh, soil fertility, tilling, and, and different plants will may damage or improve soil fertility. Which actually, as somebody who gardens in real life makes that mechanic really really interesting but the ui is so poorly laid out i can't figure it out i'm like i'm on i'm 14 hours into the game and i don't know how the farming in the game works so i there are elements of the game that i really 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 like and then there are elements of it that i think are just very poorly conveyed or poorly explained and or some combination so i i it's I hesitate to recommend it right now unless like you're stupidly into these kinds of games. Like if you have lots of hours in Endzone and other games like this, maybe take a shot at it. Um, and I think a lot of people are because a lot of people have picked it up and it's it's been doing quite well from what I can tell. Um, but uh, and I, I know I had a few people in my chat who were just like, "Oh, this looks this looks like something for me," and then they immediately buy it. Um, but uh, and they've been enjoying it too, and they, they they agree with me. It's like there's parts of it that are very clunky, but mechanically, it's very very sound. I think it looks beautiful. It is gorgeous looking. Uh, it my bitrate like, hates it, but it's gorgeous looking. Even even the screenshots, like I just love looking at them. I've enjoyed looking at streams, just watching them. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually seen in depth gameplay, but I'm the kind of person who's just like, wow, this is so nice. Yeah, it, I just want to live in a tree here. <laughs> It is gorgeous, and something that's kind of nice because, like, the game doesn't for- force you to focus on anything. If you're like me and you're like, this farming UI makes absolutely no logical sense, you can run a pretty large city with nothing but, like, fishing and foraging and hunting. Um, so you can... And, like, orchards. Orchards are also really interesting the way they work. They take multiple years, because the game has seasons. It takes multiple years to grow your trees, and they slowly mm-hmm. ramp up. So if you plant them pretty early the second you get them, and... By like year seven, you'll be getting tons of apples, which is kind of neat. Um, I I I do really 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 like the game, but man, it's early access in places. That's my take on Farthest Frontier. Because I think I'm the only. It's on my list. I haven't played it yet. Well, yeah, it's on my list as well. I mean, it looks gorgeous, and I I I do get easily overwhelmed. I mean. <laughs> I did play Banished, <laughs> not Banished, uh, Frostpunk for seven hours on stream the other day. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it does look like it has a lot of fun. Speaking of um, games that were too much for Arch, Jess, can you talk to us about Citizens Farlands? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. It's on your list. Yeah, that's that, that's one. That's that's a C grade segue. I just want to just want to point that out. <laughs> I mean, you did say I... it was too much for you. So. I, I so, did, but I'm just going to rate every segue you use, and <laughs> you know, we'll we'll just see how it goes. <laughs> I decided to play this one after the recording I did with you and Kiri. When I realized I actually did own the game, that's a pretty funny, I guess, story. But I I actually enjoyed it. I know that the the big things that. I went into expecting were like issues with turtles and I, I think you were saying it's like Islanders, but worse, right? So Citizens Islanders Farlands is <laughs> Islanders, but different. It's a turn-based city builder, but also a puzzler. And so it's got a lot of resource management and you need to, I've only been doing like one mode where it keeps ramping me up in difficulty. Like, I'll play an island, it'll introduce a mechanic, then you have to optimize it, manage your resources, because they're finite, and then hit your goals, it says, woohoo, nice, and then we move on to the next island. And I made it through, I think, eight or nine of them, and really liked it. I haven't been back to play it again, but I I was pleasantly surprised. I, um, I played a bit of Citizens Farlands before it actually... Uh, officially released and I normally don't like puzzle games but I also really like city builders and so for me it was very interesting to kind of be like well will I enjoy this and I did I did think it was a, a fun take on it I've never played a game that's quite like that before um, certainly the version I played uh, which was prior to the full release was more unpolished than what's out there now and i still believe there is a few um things that need to be patched with it but i i thought it was it was good um it's not my favorite game i've ever played by a long shot but it's a game that i would say is good and it's a unique um a unique game uh from an indie dev so yeah gives a thumbs up from me super reasonably yeah no like that that's the thing. Like the game for me got overwhelming, but for someone who who likes that, it is quite quite nice in that. Um, it it it's kind of hits that. I really enjoyed the first levels, but then when it got to the point that you had to grow the food, to grow the farm, to grow the mines, to grow the artisanal stuff, to grow the artisans, to grow the 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 smithing, to grow the army, to grow this. Yeah, when it when it brought pipe. in the the anno a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I personally really like that stuff, and the thing that I, the problem I have with Anno, I'm just completely different game, but it's like there's an, the newest one, 1800, right? It has a bunch of different islands you have to manage, and that was too much. But this one, I I like that you just do the thing, and then you do the next thing, and I found it to be really simple actually. But I also love puzzles, so I don't know if that's the difference there. The limited resources probably is what like affected me the most. The fact that, you know, you couldn't be like, okay, I got to fit this in and then I can swap it around. The fact that 
all of those resources were slowly ticking away when you weren't using them as was really the the issue. Yeah, I did not enjoy how your your um collection buildings wouldn't pause when your resources were full. Or like when what? when your storage was full. Oh, so automatically, you, it, yeah, you have to manually pause them. Yeah, like if you have space for 100 lumber and then you had a lumber camp, it would just keep harvesting the lumber and then it would just go to the yeah. void to be yeah. gone forever. And that that I did not like, but I guess that maybe is intentional as part of the resource management, which I'm iffy on, but... I feel I, like I, that's something that... Uh, Having spoken with the dev, I believe that is something that is intentional. But for me, I don't think it's a particularly good mechanic because I feel like it's adding in a degree of complexity from the perspective of resource management, which doesn't actually add any value in terms of the gameplay experience as a whole. Which is why, for me, it's uh, you know, it falls down, and it's something that yeah, you would intuitively expect it to be like, oh well, we can't store this lumber let's not harvest anymore instead of oh we're going to harvest this lumber oh we don't have anywhere to put it let's just tip it in the ocean <laughs> that's pretty much what happens there's not even a pop-up that's like hey your lumber yard's full yeah i i to me that because I, I played a couple hours of this off stream and I, I i i kind of agree with drongo here where there's there's just a number of mechanics in this game that i bumped into or i'm like oh i don't like that decision <laughs> Um, and I also don't like how this game's trying to communicate that to me, uh, to the point where I I just kind of put it down and just decided it wasn't for me. I did not really have any issues with the way things were communicated, to be honest. I thought it was all pretty straightforward. Mm. Just my biggest issue was with the resources in the ocean. <laughs> so, for the sake of time here... Uh... I think we're going to talk about Cult of the Lamb for a little bit here because I think that's kind of the big release this week. and It's on a few people's lists here and we are kind of getting into a longer podcast at this point. So um, who wants to start with Cult of the Lamb? Any volunteers? Not it. Um, yeah, Drongo, <laughs> Drongo found a pretty pretty fun dice game in, in, the, in it. <laughs> disregard yeah. cult of the lamb talk about the dice game in cult of the land okay i discovered today knuckle bones knuckle bones yeah knuckle bones which is now my new favorite game ever like honestly like it's so simple yet so enjoyable i had a great time playing knuckle bones in cult of the lamb um, forget the rest of the game just release knuckle yeah bones. exactly um <laughs> No, Jack but uh, seriously, except uh, become knuckle bones. <laughs> it. To, to just play like, this game, you've got to load up Cult of the Lands, go to this room, and then the real game begins. Exactly. Um. Well, I'll I'll take the lead on on Cult of the Lands. Um. So Cult of the Lambs is a uh game that, as was mentioned, has come out this week. Uh, it incorporates um, some roguelite elements. So think like Slay the Spire, uh, games like Hades, so kind of action, top-down action, um, 
elements along with kind of a city builder slash management games. So it was a real mishmash of different genres, but it brings it together in a way that doesn't at all feel uh, disjointed. And it also has a very, very beautiful and disarmingly cute aesthetic that perhaps <laughs> maybe hides the 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 darker undercurrents in terms of content because it is a game that does get quite dark quite quickly. Yeah, and... you know what? You know, have you seen? Uh, oh, what's that one called? The the auction not included game, but about hell. Oh, jeez, that's not no. where we're going with that. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called right good, now, that game but. Wasn't good. <laughs> Yeah, but I was gonna say it. It that game I think was attempting the exact same thing, and just did mm. it really badly. But yeah, Cult of the Lamb pulls it off. This game reminds yeah. me of Don't Starve visually. Yeah, visually it has some similarities there. It also has a really really nice soundtrack and really really good sound design. It feels everything you feel in the everything you do in the game feels very responsive and tactile and a lot of that is in the actual sound design rather than any other elements in of itself um so it's it's been really i i played it for the first time uh earlier this evening actually and i had a great time the other real standout thing about cult of the lamb is that it incorporates a twitch integration with its own extension specifically for twitch which actually allows the uh, the viewers to not only interact with the and influence the outcome of things that happen on the stream, but also take part in the stream and be one of your followers or members of the cult. Uh, but also then, if they're chosen to be part of the cult, actually design and create their cultist in the integration uh, or the extension software within Twitch, which is an incredibly cool little feature, which I've not seen done before, but just makes it that much more kind of engaging for viewers and gives that much more level of attachment. So I think it's a game that probably has some really good legs um, specifically on Twitch, uh, if for no other reason than that. Yeah, I played this one yesterday as well, and my chat loved the integration. Like, we had so much fun. It was the most fun I've had with a game that I personally really enjoyed, and then it also enjoyed streaming. Because I've had games I've enjoyed streaming, or enjoyed to stream. I've had games I've enjoyed playing, but kind of meeting in the middle there with something that I'm really passionate about playing, plus passionate about streaming. That one is just like, yes. It marks both, checks both boxes. So what's the actual like gameplay loop of this thing like? Because I'll be honest, I'm probably just going to pass on it. Like, I know, Drongo, you mentioned that it's a big mishmash of things. How does it kind of blend those things together? Like, what's the gameplay loop itself like? Sure. So in terms of what the actual core gameplay looks like, at least within the first, you know, I would say four hours or so, um, is that you have your kind of central hub, uh, where is, which is where you have your, uh, your cultists and you have your settlement where you can uh, construct buildings, you can manage your resources such as food, 
Um, you can you know gather favor, which is basically your currency to purchase upgrades within your religion. And then while you're doing all this, like leveling up various different aspects and upgrading different parts of your settlement to make you more powerful or your cult as a whole more powerful, you then have the ability to venture out into the world into uh, what they call crusades, where you go out and you basically do, or this is where it becomes like a, almost like a bullet hell kind of roguelike situation where you go out and you have these different rooms and different paths that you can take very similar to if you've played slay the spire and you have different rooms that you can take with different uh you know treasure rooms or mini bosses or you know any number of different things and yeah it's like the slay the spire over overview but then like darkest dungeon map hmm like the way that you navigate the map is like, is, that's the impression I got. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so, I mean, from that respect, and then you, you know, basically from, from those crusades, you gather resources and you gather, um, you know, new cultists and you gather, you know, basically all this different stuff that you bring back to your base and then, you know, you can further upgrade and things like that. Uh, but all of that's happening in real time. Things don't really pause while you're out and away from your uh, your home base. Uh, things are always happening there and you'll get notifications of things that are happening there. So you need to make sure that you leave your colonists with enough food. You need to make sure that they're not revolting against you. And, you know, sometimes there will be the opportunity to sacrifice one of your followers to give you a power up during your crusade, or they'll, one of your followers will get brought to you within the actual level on your crusade and all these different ways to kind of intertwine those two very different gameplay experiences. And oh. I think it's done really, really well. The one big downfall I think is the, um, accessibility wise they haven't done a particularly great job uh from the people i've spoken to yeah, yeah i think uh fg and kiri have both mentioned that that there's various uh simulation sickness um things mm -hmm. yeah that's largely one of the reasons i i'm gonna pass on it as well um but for me more mostly it's the bullet hell aspects i, I literally can't play games that are like that so if you've played, I don't know if you played Hades, it's similar. Hades was unplayable for me. Yeah, okay, I was going to say, because it's similar combat to Hades, but way easier. Like, way easier, way simpler, way slower. I mean, maybe I could play it, but I don't know. I, I, I like actual roguelikes. All of these run-based inspired games just bother me because it, it removes everything that I actually enjoy about roguelikes. That's fair. I mean, the the... The like I never played Hades. I mean, I enjoyed watching parts of it. I really enjoyed the soundtrack from it, but it was the the gameplay for me was not a uh, a selling point. That's not a typically a game that I would go out of my way to play or enjoy. Um, but fortunately, with Cult of the Lamb, the management and the city builder aspects were what kind of got me more interested, and uh, it certainly you know, to me is not a, uh, a, 
I, I, I've definitely enjoyed the the experiences that I would not normally have expected to enjoy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. I really enjoy dungeon crawlers, actually. And I also enjoy management games. And this one just pulls them together seamlessly. I don't know, just like how it does it. These two genres that just, they kind of overlap, but it just sews them together. Yeah, it's and it's neat. enjoyable. It's like it's not too much of one thing and not too much of the other. It does seem like a really neat mashup of things. And I, I, I'm glad to see that it's landed. I mean, I know that there was kind of some talk about it initially before it came out like, uh, I hope that this like make, nails the landing. But it, it seems to have at the very least. I mean, I know that they had some issues on the first day with the extension breaking. Um, but uh, beyond that, it seems to be functioning quite well and will probably have legs as a uh, game that will, you know, be streamed by people for a while, and I think that it's a a, a really an, an yet another great launch from the definitely not indie publisher, uh, Devolver Digital. So um, I'm kind of looking. We still have a few more games left on this list uh, that that we kind of need to cover if if people would like. So with, with kind of all of the I think the really heavy hitters, does anybody want to kind of do a rapid fire of any of the other games that they've been playing, or should we move on to news? I could pass on mine. I want to hear Drongo talk about GeoGuessr for a bit because it's not a game I've seen streamed very often and I want to hear more about it. Or did we already talk about that? Drongo, GeoGuessr, go. We talked about it before recording. Go on. Okay. So GeoGuessr, if you have not come across it before, is a game which essentially utilizes the Google Maps Street View and pulls it into a game uh, where you get pulled to a location randomly around the world and you don't have any idea where you are and you have to explore the Street View um, and look for clues uh, and then you have a world map and you can guess where you are and you get points based off of how close you are to your location in the game. And uh, so it's a game that I've played you know, fairly uh, often over the past year or so. Uh, I'd like to think that I'm getting pretty good at it by now. Um, I've been doing recently no moving challenge runs, so basically just panning the, panning the, the camera around, which I personally really enjoy because it means that I have to look very, very carefully for, you know, very small clues, which you might not, you might overlook if you're moving around, you might pass up, you know, oh, well, what's that, what's that bush over there? You know, what's the grass look like? Things like that. You might pass them up for, oh, well, I'll go look for a road sign. Um, so I've been no, doing no moving challenge runs and I've been doing timed no moving challenge runs. So 20 seconds or less. And so this week I set a new PB of, uh, I think it was 20, 21,000 points. Um, so each geo guess around has a maximum of 5,000 points from each one. Um, and so for no moving less than 20 seconds, 21,000 is pretty, pretty good for me. So Damn. I'm very, very proud of that. I, I love GeoGuessr because it feels like I'm going on a road trip somewhere that I don't know very well. Yeah. I, I like the, how do you take a chill game like GeoGuessr and just add this elitism, max difficulty in, and, you know, you've gone and done it again. I, I can go in the opposite direction <laughs> with GeoGuessr. 
the, the, the last time I played GeoGuessr was actually at Christmas. I had a bunch of the extended family over and at my parents' house. And uh, we, uh, well, it was like my, my sisters and like their husbands, basically. And then my mom and my dad and my aunt and uncle. And we were just like hanging out and me and my uh, brother-in-law just put Geo, we also did this with Jackbox for a bit, but, but we just put GeoGuessr on the TV and just started playing on his laptop. And after about a minute, like the entire family was just like around the TV, just going like, hmm, I think this is Belgium. No, it's definitely, it can't be Belgium. Definitely not Belgium. I'm pretty sure this is Belgium. And it was, that, that's my favorite way to play GeoGuessr. Just get a crowd of people together that's, and go on a road trip. That's definitely uh, a, a great way to do it. I've definitely done that before. And this I mean, makes that was me miss after I, hours. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, that was how I got into GeoGuessr, you know, originally was during the pandemic you know traveling for me was always a big part of my life and so being able to you know go on a, a virtual road trip and see different parts of the world using GeoGuessr was a, a way to vicariously do that all right well we're going to take a real quick break when we come back we're going to talk about uh, uh some twitch news and then talk about unity for a couple of minutes and then we'll wind this podcast down so thank you very much for listening up until this point we'll be right back after this short message Well, hi there. I'm FG, and you can find me over on twitch.tv slash FG squared Mondays through Fridays at 9 a.m. BST, which is 4 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central European time. And we play loads of different games, indie games, AAA games, things you have heard of, things you haven't heard of. Uh, it is also not my birthday. This is not a cult. And elephants are pretty cool animals. If you want to know what the heck that means, come and find out. See you on Twitch. And we're back with episode 30 of the Halcyon Frequency Podcast. I'm blind and I'm hosting, and I'm alongside Arch Plays Stuff, Bloody Drongo, Suey, and what Jess, and I need to sneeze. Um, Twitch has custom tags now. Arch, do you want to take this one while I mute and sneeze? Yeah, sure thing. So um, Twitch is finally... Um expanded the amount of tags that you can have on your stream basically like uh like any social platform hashtags allow you to categorize your content and unlike any other social platform um they've relied on a few curated ones but they're now actually they've expanded it to 10 and they're al they're allowing people to put in their own their own tags so it's a big win for people wanting to specialize a lot of their content maybe um you know, focus on a specific, uh, uh, you know, um, genre or something and, and, and really, really nail that down based like away from what Twitch is sort of giving in the, uh, generic terms. Um, but it also does, you know, from my own SEO mind, my own, my own categorizing ideas is it's going to make things a lot harder for, uh, for streamers as well to identify what tags are worth using. And if you're using your own custom ones, you know, are you losing out on, on getting any traffic because you've added one that's like, you know, say Drongo added, you know, the Shoeys tag, probably one of only like two or three people who would use that tag on the, on the, on the site. Where does that place them in terms of, you know, whether or not it's worthwhile using. So 
Yeah, there's there's benefits, adding up to 10, being able to further fine-tune your content to make sure that these tags apply specifically to you rather than using catch-alls. But, I mean, it adds another layer of uh, SEO when it comes to marketing yourself on Twitch. Or you can go in the footsteps of Steven Spawn and use uh, and just make all of your tags the lyrics of Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick, Rick Astley. <laughs> That's amazing. Prob probably highlights just how useful he thinks this is. I, um, don't, I personally don't <laughs> think they're useful at all, but that's because I know how many people clicked on tags previously. And I don't, I think that making like them more customizable isn't going to help much. Um, with the exception of like maybe things like ranked, um, or like league of legends or games like that, or max difficulty or hard mode or hardcore or whatever, stuff like that. Like, um, but I, I, I think especially for people like me who stream really niche games, um, the game tags are more useful already. And, you know, I, well, I memed the tags previously with like things like endurance training and visual ASMR. So I think I'm just going to kind of keep doing that. So <clears throat> they're, they're for two things, right? They're for that, for users to find, but they also help Twitch categorize your content as well. And that's where I feel they become more useful. It will, the tags, I can guarantee you, even if I don't have access and see this, but I can guarantee you that they use those tags to categorize viewers for recommendations and for ads. So they do well, actually say that in their help article. Okay. Cause I've, I've not seen that help article that does it, but um, there I'll is a reason. They, um, they actually say the tags will play a more prominent role in creating discovery opportunities. For example, by integrating tags into shelf creation on the homepage, we can quickly respond to organic movements within our community and amplify them as they are happening. Yes, but I'm talking back-end recommended if it goes, okay, people watch this channel that has these tags. Let's recommend to them channels that have the same tags rather than saying, oh, Meme runs is a tag that's trending. Let's make sure there's a meme runs thing on the homepage. It's saying you watch meme runs. We're going to recommend other streamers who use that tag. And well, that's what the the shelf is on the homepage that they're talking about. That's the recommended shelf. Okay, because I wasn't sure whether that was the trending shelf where it would no. be like, okay, this is recommended to everyone, but it would also be used in advertising as well. Um, I've not sold. Like I've not bought ads on Twitch, but every other platform that we've ever worked on in advertising, you definitely, you know, hashtags play a part in it. Um, you know, Reddit, subreddits and related subreddits and content play a part in it. So it's definitely, it's one of those situations that is a win-win. It is more customization for, for streamers. Mm -hmm. And it also means more specialization for advertisers and Twitch, which is, we all know Twitch is really trying hard to make ads, um, more acceptable, you know, I, on the platform. And I do have a major complaint yeah. about this tagging system though. Um, YouTube's tagging system allows for spaces in the tags. This one doesn't. So for me, with my old visually impaired and legally blind tags, which I used to, well, I legally blind would be new now because I can customize them, but visually impaired is now significantly less useful because it doesn't have, it can't have a space in it and things like uh, that make me case. take the system less seriously. Well, I mean, Twitter, which 
arguably created hashtags doesn't allow spaces. So people are used to it. It is a very common thing. I would actually say that people reading hashtags where you've camel cased it so then the the each word yeah, has the start of each word has a capital. Are we are we talking about people clicking sense. on the tag or are we talking about the site categorizing tags? Because if they're categorizing them on the back end, we want them to be like easier to read for somebody who's scrolling down and sees a recommended list. We don't want them to be as clickable. Whereas Twitter's yeah. hashtags are something that you click on. Just just quickly checking. Um, you can click on these. Yeah, you, you can click on these, but nobody does based on the tracking that I've gotten from previous ones. Yeah, very no, my, I, I just checked. I just checked and I've got the the message that um it's currently under maintenance. I don't think I've I've had it access like given yet. But just having a quick look here at stream information. Um the category tags allow it, so I don't know, maybe it is something that they can add in or or will like look at if adding. If I type in test space tag and then press enter, it puts it together without a space. Yeah, I'll screenshot it. Well, so this here. is kind of related to a problem I mentioned earlier. Um, if you have two words in your tag, and if a viewer is searching for a piece of your of your tag term, it, it won't show up. Like, so if you're looking for chill, and as a viewer you type in tag filter chill, if someone has chill anything after, they don't show up, and that to me seems like a really big limitation. Whereas YouTube's hashtag chill, hashtag chilled out, hashtag chilling, hashtag chills. <laughs> you see, yeah, I, none that, of that that's would show up. Less convenient though. It's not as good of a tagging system. Um, but what I will say is, this is kind of a rare W for Twitch. They they did a good with this one. As much as like I can I poke like at that. the system and be like, this could be better. Because it could. I do think this is good. Well, I think it's one of those things that will continue to evolve over time. Because I mean, like. I mean, it, let's not forget that it wasn't that long ago where Twitch was adamantly saying, you know, we will, you know, we, we will never expand our existing, you know, tags that we have on the platform and, you know, oh, we'll never allow custom tags and stuff like that on the platform. And so this is, you know, obviously a, a pretty major deviation from that. And it obviously, you know, fits in with what their plans are for the platform in terms of how they want to, you know, increase discoverability, which we know from what they've said is uh, you know, a big focus for them in terms of how they're you know, organizing browse directories and things like that. So I think we'll you know, see a lot more uh, changes in, in this space. So hopefully they continue to be positive. I just hope they don't break the site like YouTube does on a biweekly basis. But now we've got um, this block of, well, two articles specifically, but they link into previous articles we've talked about on this show before, and that is um, everybody's favorite game engine, Unity. Um, so I almost want to make Arch take this one again, but I feel bad because I just did that. Um, so <laughs> I, I was surprised when you said me on the other one because I was like, I knew you just sneeze and you were the first on the list. On this one. If Jess was named Award to... Jess and popped up before you, then I would go for you. Yeah, yeah. Why me? All right. <laughs> now, for, now, for, times today. <laughs> now for Aw Jess. Aw Jess. <laughs> can, can you tell that I'm a simple I'm person and I just time. go for the top of the list or the bottom of the list? <laughs> um, but... I, I can take the, this one though because I have done a bit of reading and all then right. I can pass it all over to you. 
Um, basically, Unity's in the news again for for two reasons. Um, Applovin um, has made an offer to to buy Unity, um, a rather aggressive aggressive deal, looking to spend uh, seventeen point five billion dollars on it, um, which is a lot. And you know, all of all of that is you know big news in and of itself. But Some, something that part of I'm going to interject here for a second. Nobody on the planet knows what Applovin is. So real quick, from their website directly, Applovin <laughs> is a corporation doing business as as Applovin, a mobile technology company headquartered in uh, Palo Alto, California, and they specialize in monetization tools and analytics for mobile apps. Please continue, Arch. And the reason they're... One of their big things about stepping in is they want to quash the, um, the iron source deal. And this is this strikes me as very interesting because Iron Source is also a monetization um, platform and tool. So I I do wonder if it's literally them going, if we don't do this, we're dead in the water. So you know we've got to go big or go home. And so there is all of that. Um, that's still on the way. I think they're looking to buy shares around fifty eight dollars, six uh, fifty nine dollars. Um, but some big news has also come out from Unity, which will affect share prices, though. I'm not t- entirely sure which way. So because far, they've... the deal has affected Applevin's stock uh, positively. They're up 5% almost. Yeah, but um, Unity's also announced that they've uh, signed a contract with a uh, GovTech firm to become the preferred real-time 3D platform for simulation programs across the US government, including defense. Um, Now, people who have followed Unity closely and been somewhat critical or somewhat aware of what's been going on, it actually has been doing this for a while. Um, Last year, there was an open letter from the Unity devs asking for more transparency on what Unity was doing working with the, uh, the government. But um, yeah, this is this is another big, the quiet part out loud. You know, it's been a, an open secret that Unity's been working with it, but now they've announced that they've uh, signed a very big contract to do it. So a lot of people are unhappy, and a lot of people are not surprised. I think that I, think I fall that... into the not surprised category because if someone like if if the government is looking for like three D solutions, like someone is going to do it right and so why not unity however i don't really think it's cool if you sign up to work at unity with the intention of developing games and then having your work militarized that's super uncool yeah it's it's less the like yeah. game, game engine side of them that is gonna end up moving in towards the governmental work and more the um what what's the word i'm looking for here the ai and uh because because when when the the open letter came out, the people that were being moved over to um, potentially work on this sort of stuff were per- primarily in their AI development side of things for running simulations. So it was their simulation and AI sections. And oddly enough, the AI department's the one that had that huge set of layoffs not too long ago, as well. Yeah, um, it's just weird <laughs> I did all around. See one to me. tweet. I did see one tweet of. Um, you know, the just imagine the bugs that the uh, the military simulations are going to have to deal with now. You know, 
Gonna make Enemies coming worse. through walls. <laughs> All, everybody's T-posing. But yeah, um, as Jess said, it does create a rather complex thing because, I mean, a lot of developers um, do consider the the social impact of, of their choices and of the things they use. And, and then um, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, game development does tend to be a very, or is becoming a much more socially aware um, industry. So working with a platform that is helping the uh, military industrial complex, that is the US Defense Department, um, yeah, has quite a lot of developers really upset for just simply being associated with them. I can't imagine that it will... I mean, it may mean that the uh, the company goes through a bit of a uh, a cultural shift, but, I mean, I can't imagine it will, you know, significantly hurt it in the long run. It's, you know, they'll just have a, you know, those that do find it, you know, uh, unacceptable for their own moral compasses will move on and, you know, as long as there's money there, as long as there's paying jobs, you know, there will be people to, to fill them. So, well, life that's will go on in that defense, respect. Defence contracts are usually a pretty big money maker. So mm. anything lost in indie developers or hobby developers is definitely going to be gained in government contracts and such. But yeah. um yeah, no, it's it's very interesting because a lot of a lot of developers or people who are very familiar with the workings of Unity have said this has been happening for a while now. This is like, you know, not really been a big thing. The fact that they're announcing it now makes you wonder, are they trying to be transparent or is there something else? Are they trying to bolster their stock price for some reason? Well, I mean, if you're in that position, um, you know, the, the stock market loves a good government guaranteed contract. So that, you know, if you want to quickly yeah. increase cash reserves, you know, bring in, uh, bring in, uh, bring, make that announcement, put it out there. Yeah. Well, and, and when it comes to smaller indie developers who, you know, kind of want to put their profits where their mouth is, um, there's always, there's like, multiple alternatives to unity in the works currently you know if you're trying to make specific types of games there's things like game maker uh which don't have any of these issues there's godot which is an open source engine which obviously doesn't have these issue issues there's things like blender which uh large portions of your game development can be done within blender and then there's also unreal but who knows if unreal is going to go this route in the future um so there, there's there's many other Hi. ways for a lot of uh independent developers to go that isn't necessarily using unity i think it's more at least when it comes to the audience that's going to be listening to this podcast, I think it becomes an issue when, if you've been developing on Unity for, let's just say, like, let's just say you've been making a game on Unity for the last five years, and then this comes out, and you suddenly really don't like the company that you're building your like life's work for the last five years on, that's a really crappy situation to be put in from the perspective of somebody who's making art. Um Shout out to um, RPG Maker XP, the first uh, <laughs> engine I ever used to make a game. Yeah, so it, <laughs> I, I think it's it's I think that's primarily going to be the the audience of this uh, of this podcast. You know, um, not I don't know how many uh, military government contractors listen to this show. I mean, maybe there's one, but I, I think it's it's a 
common thing for large tech companies to be working in. And that's not that side of it's not surprising. But I think it's a bit of a shame that they that Unity built their brand on like, you know, their, their whole line is Unity for all, right? Like that that's what they built their brand on. And it this feels completely counterintuitive to that. That's more yeah. just disappointing to me than surprising. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Pretty much, yeah. I think I think in an effort to be uh, you know, uh self-aware as well, I think there's uh it's worth pointing out that we as uh we as streamers are making our preferred art essentially working for Amazon. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, sometimes there's not a a better option when you're in that circumstance. You've committed to something and you know, you've got to make peace with it. I mean, like, what's our options? Amazon, Facebook, mm. or Google? <laughs> yeah. Or, or stream from or, a pirate radio station somewhere off the Irish Sea. Yeah, no one will no I might just move are. to Honduras. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty big in Honduras. You'd, you'd, uh, you, you'd definitely have a fan. Number one video games podcast <laughs> in Honduras. Fun fact. <laughs> Uh, Sui, I feel like I, I I barged into something that you were saying. Um, if you had something to say, please say it. Oh no. Okay. No, it doesn't matter. It's way past. But you know, at, at the end of the day, I think that this is going to be an evolving story. Um, when it comes to the app loving and Unity merge, um, I will be kind of surprised if that happens. Um, just because generally mergers fail when they're not super lopsided in one direction, and it's this is two companies around the same value margin. Um, trying to buy each other out um, and also pushing out another com- company. I, so personally, I, I will be kind of surprised if that, ha- if that goes through. Uh, I think that Arch's point of um, it blocking the Iron Source deal is an interesting concept. Um, I don't like Iron Source because I was one of the people who uh, had to fix their... Uh, Iron Source made an auto-downloader that downloaded a whole bunch of different pieces of software when you downloaded a free pieces of software. Um, which was basically malware uh, because it would download stuff without your knowledge or permission. That was what got them their start. Yes, a lot of those people who made that software no longer work at that company, but that is still ingrained in my brain for what Iron Source is. Um, so for me personally, um, if that deal fell through and didn't happen, I would be kind of happy. But at the end of the day, I haven't been particularly thrilled with Unity for a very long time anyway. Um, so there, there is that. But... Um, I, I, I'm glad I haven't had to fix my relatives' computers in a while. But, um... Oh, my. <laughs> kind of a, you know, weird vibe to end this podcast on, but, um... I, make your art where you feel good about it. And that's, I guess... I, I think that's all away. you can really do, you know? Um... <clears throat> oh, what, what's that thing there? No ethical consumption under capitalism. Yes. Um, Beautiful quote. It is. It is about you know doing that and doing the best you can. Um, but no, like I think that I think that everyone sort of finds these things and they make their own choices based on it. And if someone you know um, does make a choice, it doesn't necessarily mean that they fully reflect those values and, and all of that. Sometimes they're doing what they can to get by. Um, 
we're also doing what we can to get by by hosting a podcast. Uh, once again, we are Halcyon Frequency, and this has been the Halcyon Frequency Podcast, Episode 30. I just wanted to say a real quick shout-outs to Peter Pohl and Paul Mile for the lovely intro and outro music we now have for this show. And uh, because we're kind of in the outro sequence, uh, Bloody Drongo, could you please tell us who you are and where people can find your stuff on the internet? Hi, I'm Bloody Drongo. I'm a full-time content creator. Uh, you can find me four nights a week over on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv forward slash bloody drongo, all one word. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter as at the bloody drongo. And now we're just going to kind of work down the list. Arch, could you please do the same? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at uh, archplaystuff. Hi. Um... I stream, yep. And you can find me on uh, Twitch and YouTube, just Sui. And then on Twitter, I'm at Sui Streams. Jess, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at whoa underscore Jess, W O A H H. That's the real spelling. And you can find me at Blind IRL everywhere. And if you want to find more episodes of this podcast, you can do that at halcyonfrequency.com. Of course, you can also find all of us over there. And you can also find uh, more episodes of this podcast in places where podcasts are harvested organically. We don't like GMO products in our podcasts. Uh, and if it doesn't show up in places where you can find your podcasts, then please tell me and I will make it show up there, although we should be pretty much everywhere at this point. If you listen to this podcast in a place where you can leave reviews or follow it or thumbs up or likes or whatevers, please do that because it does help other people find this podcast and because it's hard to advertise podcasts please tell your mother your friends your 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 dog your cat uh your pet snake and your pet spiders about this podcast and maybe make them listen to it as well to increase the play counts so that maybe we can get some sponsors on this show one day thank you very much for listening to this episode and we'll be back next sunday with more of this whatever this is now's where we all say goodbye generally in unison so goodbye bye goodbye Bye, everybody. Where was the unison? There was no unison in that. I, I like held it out to try and wait for you guys.